The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. With Black Friday savings at the Home Depot, you'll find top brand kitchen appliances with innovative features that can do more so your holidays can be more. Ovens with built-in air fryers for baking the perfect cookies. Dishwashers with smart tech to clean everything from bakeware to festive mugs. And high-capacity refrigerators to keep leftovers fresh. Shop Black Friday savings and get up to 30% off, plus instantly save up to $750 on select GE kitchen packages at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid November 2nd through November 30th. U.S. only. See store or online for details. Mental Podcast is a show dedicated to individuals and mental health professionals, providing support, information, and some candid conversations along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle and Seth. That still goes on a long time. It's, it's now it's the talking time, so you're supposed to talk <laughs> oh, as it fades out. I'm waiting See, for the music to it end. It goes it goes loud, and then it like cuts I off see. immediately into quieter, which is your cue in. So then you can talk as the I music don't know. Ends. I still feel like I'm supposed to wait till it's over instead of talking over the top of it. It just well, I don't know, because it's it's good well, music. It's louder music, and I like it louder, so I tend to not talk over it. Because I'm enjoying the music. So you're transfixed into the into the the music of the <laughs> yes. intro. Yes, yes, you know I like that. Rather than having the intro set us up for the conversation. Yes. Well, I just now I know better, and I'm used to you doing the intros. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ah, hello everybody! Welcome back to Mental <laughs> with your hosts, myself, Michelle Collins, and the great and wonderful Seth Showalter. Hello. Say hello. There he is. We are back today to continue talking about a very serious subject. You know, we laugh and joke along the way. And, you know, a lot of times that's just a way to alleviate or relieve some anxiety or some pressure or, you know, tension because the subject matter is really, really serious. And of course, I'm, I'm referencing domestic yes. violence. That's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And again, we don't want to make light of that situation. But if you're me, your go to. <laughs> When you're nervous is nervous laughter. So <laughs> I hope nobody thinks I think this is funny. It's just that's what comes out. So, Well, Michelle, it, it's okay to be you. And, yeah, I know. Uh, well, you, know, you would think. But every it, now it, and then I get told it's not. So. Well, I'm here to tell <laughs> whoever's saying that that they are not wrong. Yeah, I know. It's okay. And we all <laughs> respond to things differently. I right. think that's, I mean, right. if our show doesn't illustrate that, I don't know what does. Right. I think that's a, that's a really good thing to remember when we're talking about mental health in general. Yeah. Is, is I don't think that we can ever pinpoint somebody's reaction and say it's appropriate or inappropriate because that person is responding from their own, their own stuff. And they're going to, some will be nervous laughter, some will be quiet and not able to interact. Others will be angry. I mean, all of these are acceptable. It's just that we perceive them a certain way and decide it's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my little 
platform moment to say, you get to be who you are. You get to respond the way you respond. And I won't make assumptions about what that means about you as a person. And I would appreciate that in return. Of course. I would hope. <laughs> Again, not speaking everyone... to you, Seth. <laughs> well, I know. But I would hope that our listeners would, would do that. Yeah, I would hope so, too. But again, we're all human. We're all, we all make mistakes and, you know, we all read other things through our lens. So it, sometimes mm -hmm. that's what happens. So anyway, so we're talking about domestic violence. Yes, and we, are. we had, we had provided some stats the last time we spoke about it, which again, were kind of surprising. Several of them were kind of shocking. And I actually spent some time thinking about that because I was reminded again, and of course, some interactions during the week have reminded me as well that there's a lot of people that actually are experiencing or have experienced domestic violence who don't realize that's what they've experienced. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think I told you earlier, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday who said, well, you know, there was never any physical violence. It it was just, you know, I got berated and, and torn down. And I'm like, that still counts. <laughs> That's still traumatic. You know, I mean, nobody's getting arrested for calling you a name, but that still counts as, as we're talking about the subject matter. But I think most people think unless there's physical violence, you know, some form of contact that it doesn't really count or it's not important. And uh, so I think we can't say enough times that that is not true. It's still very important. Yeah. And I mean, there's that phrase, it's not true. Uh, but sticks and stones yeah. may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's so incorrect. Very much so. But I think that it's that kind of uh, perspective that leads people to not actually count the verbal or emotional or psychological abuse as domestic yeah. violence, when right. in fact it is. Yeah. And, and often that's the stuff that can be even more damaging because... I know that sounds counterproductive or counterintuitive, but physical violence produces some form of, you know, bruise or, you know, injury or something like that. It's an outward expression of, of having been abused. But oftentimes, a lot of the abuse that we're given, it is from that place where it becomes very internal to us. So nobody else can see it to know that we need help. We're often not able to vocalize that we need help. And so that continues to sit inside of us and fester and, and become a very large problem. Whereas typically if there's physical abuse involved, there will be a point where the person being abused will go, that's it, I've had enough. And they will tell somebody or it will become evident to other people as opposed to holding it inside. Right. Well, and then people see it. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I, know, yeah. I know you're saying that, but like yeah. that's, that's the thing. It, you, it's evident. It's, you exactly. can see the bruise. Exactly. So, I mean, again, there's no tried and true definition here for what we're talking about because people experience it in so many different ways and people perpetrate it in so many different ways, you mm -hmm. know? And, and I think, and this was another thing that it, the conversation I had yesterday with the person I was discussing this with is that this was generational. This, this wasn't some, you know, outside source. I mean, there was some of that, but it was generational. It was parent to child over several different generations. Yeah. And, you know, and I said, well, it's easier as you're an adult to look back at a situation and say, well, that person was abusive, but here's why. I can understand why they were because of what they experienced. That doesn't mean you're excusing their behavior. It simply means that you are finding some humanity in that person, that they mm -hmm. are broken in some form or fashion. And that's why they have acted the way they did, which then had a great big effect on your life or maybe on, you know, somebody else's life. And they perpetrated that on to the next person. 
Right. You know, and I think it's important that we do find some humanity in that. And now I know a lot of people are going to be upset with that because a lot of people are going to be like, screw the abuser. I don't need to find humanity. I get that. I felt that for a long time. But there comes a point when you have to make peace within yourself for some of that, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's important. But that's certainly when you choose to, not when somebody tells you you should, you know, mm-hmm. you can't demand that for somebody else. So. No. Anyway, you have a bunch of information, so let's let's get into well, the information. Well, I, I have. really can't do that Why? yet. Why? Well, I mean, you you, you introed the show. I did, and and you reviewed what we've been talking about this yes. month. Yes. And oh. then you transitioned into a subject matter, I'm completely sorry. bypassing a <laughs> mental minute. Where we check in with how each other uh, are doing, especially a with a topic week. like this. I know, I know. With a topic like I know, and I know, and I know that you were hoping I would just let that. No, let that I, pass. I honestly had forgotten. <laughs> I was just I, into the subject. Because I, because I, I, there's a whole disclaimer, which again, I hate trigger warnings. But even when, before yeah. we jump into the conversation, yeah. I want to have a, a chit. I want to take. I a, think so. I want to take a minute to have a conversation before we even really jump into this material. Yeah, I think so, it's a good idea. But before we do that, I think you did provide a really good overview mm-hmm. of the subject matter of what we're focusing on this month mm-hmm. and what we're really going to key into in this episode. But before we do that, I think it's first important that we check in on how we're doing because... Mm-hmm. I think how we are feeling and the things that are going on in our personal life can also shape our opinions. Oh, for sure. And and our reactions to certain things. And so right. I think it's important that we check in first. Yeah. Okay. I honestly didn't try to skip over the mental uh, the mental minute. I just totally was focused on the subject matter. Mm-hmm. No, I know. Um, I've done it before too. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, easy to do. So it is. I don't know. Maybe there's some subconscious avoidance. I don't know. But I am. But I <laughs> I'm am sure there is. <laughs> pulling the reins here. Yeah. Well. And uh, bringing it back. So okay. Okay. So I guess on? I'm going first, huh? Well, that's yeah. I mean, you kind of <laughs> put yourself in that position, huh? Uh, I, it's been a tough week. Uh, I mean, just in every way that it can be, it's been a tough week. Um, and my therapy appointment last week was on Friday which is later. I'm usually there on Wednesday. So it was on Friday. So when we were trying to schedule this week, she said, I have something. I'm not going to be here on this Friday. And I said, okay. And she's like, and I really don't want to do it beforehand. You know, I'd like to give it that extra time. So can we go into the next week? So we decided on Wednesday, the following week. So I'm missing like a whole week and a half here. And I've gotten kind of used to that. So true to form, anytime you're going to have a gap like that, that's when a lot of things are going to bubble up for some reason. That seems to be kind of the the flow of it for me anyway. So I had some stuff in my personal life that I had to to get settled. And I have a tendency to, again, err to the side of making sure other people are comfortable at the expense of myself. And so I was waiting to handle some of this stuff until after, after a few events that had were scheduled to take place. And even my therapist asked me, why are you waiting? Because you're the one struggling with it now. And I said, well, but I don't want to make it uncomfortable on the other side, and she's like, okay, so again, you are sacrificing your feelings so that somebody else can be comfortable. And I'm like, well, yeah, isn't that what a good Christian girl is supposed to do? <laughs> what a good Christian girl is supposed to do. <laughs> You're supposed to prefer others over yourself, right? Anyway, she laughed at me, and she said, that's cute. Now stop that. <laughs> she gets me. <laughs> uh, anyway, I like so I, 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 I was still, still going to do it and just not tell her. I was just like, I'm going to 
do my timeline. But I kind of got pushed into the conversation. So it was a difficult conversation. It was a very emotional conversation for me. And so I've spent a couple days like really being very emotional, which I, I, don't, I think I've said this before here. I hate. I don't like to cry. Uh, because I feel like shit physically when I cry. My eyes swell up. They blurry. I can't breathe. I don't sleep. Everything just kind of breaks down. And so I, spending a couple days like that really was very detrimental because I didn't sleep well. And then having the not feeling well physically on top of it. And then just for shits and giggles, my body has decided like every nagging little injury that I have decided to become louder all at once. So that has been a lot of fun and really impacted my ability to sleep as well. So I went and had a massage today. Good. I would like to say that's an enjoyable experience for me. However, it is not because I'm one of those people that if I'm going to go do that, I want the deep tissue. I want it to hurt to where I almost want to cry because I know that's going to be better for the muscles in the end. Uh-huh. And my arm is hurting so much over the last few days. I have tendonitis. And it's hurting so bad and I can feel it all the way up my shoulder. So they really worked on my arm and my shoulder and it literally was excruciating. So I've come home and I've put like some uh, Arnica on it and I've taken some Advil and at the moment it's manageable, but it's, yeah. So anyway, it was just, it's, it's Thursday. It's been a week already. I'm ready to be done. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) We're almost there. I know. Almost almost there. Almost almost there. there. So, how are you doing? I'm doing a lot better than I have in in previous weeks. I thought so. And it seemed like it to me. I, I'm at a point where I'm I am moving forward in every way I can. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't thought if I was going to share this on the podcast or not. Oh, okay. Well, it's I up to you. I hadn't processed this yet. I I love my job. Love my job. Mm-hmm. I really do for the most part. But there was another position that opened up that kind of filled like a, a future dream that I, I eventually could potentially want. And in mm-hmm. the midst of a buyout, it was something I considered and uh, applied and definitely I didn't even get an interview. Oh, but, but in in the process of this, I really became thankful for the job that I have. Yeah. And... It's the first time I've ever gotten a real bonus. I'm getting an actual bonus tomorrow, which I'm really excited about. I've never been in a position where that was even a reality. There was this other thing you could get where you get like a little stipend or something. Mm -hmm. I I think they called them bonuses, but it was like a thousand bucks every quarter Mm -hmm. just to like keep people motivated to do good work. That is a bonus. That's nice, though. But this is different. Yeah. This is based <laughs> this, on performance? Yes. Okay. Um, well, it's based upon a couple things. It's based upon how well the company is doing. Mm-hmm. And then based on how well the company is doing depends on how much of the major fund is funded. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you get, based upon your performance, you get a percentage of that. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So they could yeah. they could fund it at fifty percent, and you would get eighty percent of your potential fifty. Nice. Anyway, it's strange, but um, <laughs> that was that was really cool uh, well, that's to awesome. get. I'm and glad to I'm hear that. Pretty excited about that. Well, good. And I'm spending a lot of time with friends, doing well, everything I can to stay active with my support system. Like literally, I'm doing something with people like almost every night which is really awesome. Yes. And Lizzie has been very active. She's we so made cute. 
TikTok. We made a TikTok together. And it's doing well in TikTok and the fact that I don't ever create TikToks. Um, So I have not joined the TikTok craze. You need to. I don't need another social media platform. My God. Trust me, you won't need any other social media platform after you get on that. (laughs) There's so many things for you to check out. I still have to learn it all, though, and that's the problem. But anyway, that video was so cute. It's it's self-explanatory. No, yeah, you would think that, but I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I think you can handle it, and I think you have children who could help you. I don't. I don't even think my kids are on TikTok. Well, that's sad. We literally spend all our time on Snapchat. We have family Snapchat group, and everything goes in there. Yeah, Every, everything. All so. right. All right. And you already know this, but I have big news. I'm not allowed to share it yet, but I have great big news in my family. So you yes. cannot tell me you didn't remember. No, I no, I I now know. I'm I not. Remember. I'm not it allowed to say second. anything yet. And and clearly neither can I. I know you can't. <laughs> I'm just saying there's big news. Like it's yes. not just big news. It's big news. <laughs> it's huge news. It's huge. <laughs> like huge. So I'm just waiting news. for the okay to share it because I think it's really cool. So. <laughs> well, I can't wait to. I know it's interesting. It'll be great. So everybody I know in person here, I've got, I I was told I can tell anybody, I just can't post it because nobody here knows anybody that I, (laughs) so I've told three or four people and all of their reactions are the same as mine. Holy shit. (laughs) I'm like, right? I had a weird reaction though. I was concerned for some weird reason. I did too. I did too, but that's okay because that's a part of it. So that's, you know, that's okay. Anyways, we're, we, we're talking about something the listeners don't know. I know. And we shouldn't do that because it's going to become evident very quickly if we keep doing that. I might even (laughs) edit it out. We'll see. (laughs) Let's, uh, let's move into the subject matter, shall we? Let's do that. So So you have all of this information that you have pulled. So where do you want to start? I do have lots of information that I pulled. Okay. But before we jump into that, I want to have just a brief conversation. Okay. We're covering very intense situations. Yeah. And both Michelle and I have varying degrees of personal lived experience around this. In the fact that I don't think I've had any and Michelle, I think it's fair to say you've had some domestic violence mm-hmm. in your past. Yeah, quite a bit, actually. Quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I'm looking at this and kind of coming into the conversation from an academic level, whereas Michelle is coming in from a very personal lived experience level. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, um, I don't want anything that we talk about to, one, to upset anyone, and and two, I, I want this to be educational and helpful. Yeah, of course. But I don't want you to jump into this conversation and, and listen if you're if you don't feel like you're in a place for us to yeah. talk about what all is actually involved in this. Because this can and as much as I hate the word, uh, but this can be triggering. Yeah. And um I just I, I will just say that last week's live was very difficult for me. Okay. Um, Of course, there was a lot of subject matter there that, you know, it was domestic violence. It really was. But it it was so traumatic. And for me, it brought up, even while a lot of those experiences are not a part of my experience, just the idea actually caused me to have a very hard time. 
And I was trying very hard to hold it together <laughs> while, while we were in the middle of that conversation because we were live. And I think I even mentioned a few times, like, I'm having a hard time, like, vocalizing or even – and I really did. And I got done and I really just – had a very rough evening because of it. So uh, again, this is a subject matter that is, as you're saying, highly triggering. And so if it's not something you're able to handle, you should not listen. Right. And I will note, interesting, that was your response during that interview. To me, I became completely numb mm. to where it didn't even, like, I. it was as if I was watching, and I hate to say this because it was a very nice guy, and I'm so thankful that he came on and shared right. his story. And right. I do think when it's when it's put in a, edited into a, a conversation, I think it's going to be very beneficial. Mm-hmm. But, like, it was almost like watching a TV show. To, you know what I mean? It, it almost, like, I felt detached. Right. Well, if it's not your experience, it is easy to slip into that kind of idea because right. we are presented with those ideas in, in movies and television. And so, again, if it's not your experience, it's easy to remove yourself from it and just observe. If, however, I, it is your experience, it's easy to get sucked into how that feels. Right. And and what so, was so interesting because I wasn't doing that intentionally. No, of course not. In fact, it was about like halfway in, I was like, you know, I, I realized you were kind of struggling and hearing it. And then I had to ask myself, why am I not? Like, not what, experience. you know? Well, right. But I felt detached. And so I was like, then I was trying to like get more involved because I was like, oh, I've kind of set back in this interview. But it's because I didn't have the words to say. Yeah. Well, it was a tough, that was a tough experience. So in in, no matter what, that's a tough experience. And you don't have to have experienced that to to feel kind of some shock value at at Mm -hmm. something like that, which of course, a defense mechanism to that is to numb yourself or basically detach yourself from, from the conversation. So that yeah. there's not an emotional reaction, you know. And so, I mean, I appreciated that. I know that you checked in with me a few times through chat. Are you okay? And I appreciated that. But honestly, I, I at first was not even aware that I was struggling until I looked down and I was wringing my hands. That mm. was my first. And I went, okay, that's always the first thing for me. I noticed that my feet were rubbing against one another. That's a that's an anxiety thing for me. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I felt it come up my th- Once I was aware of those things, then I felt it come up my throat. So, you know, very different experiences, but because we've come from a very different background. Yep. And so, you know, I, I would gather I would gather an opinion here to say that even people that have not lived that, it still may be too much for some people. Yeah. And so even if you decide to listen to this episode, it's okay to turn it off midway. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that's weird to say and say as, as <laughs> one of the co-hosts of my show and I, of course, care about numbers. I was going to say, as the one listen, who cares about all the numbers. <laughs> who cares about all the numbers, I'm telling you to to stop or not listen to this episode. Right. Um, but the thing about it is, is I, I, I care. Right. And I want this, I want what we're doing with this show to be helpful right. and not just reporting horrible things that are happening in the world right but that that as we have these conversations and talk about the different types of domestic violence that you may experience and the potential impact that that can have um, the hope is that as we talk about this we're also going to highlight some of the things that are helpful right and even if you haven't had an experience of domestic violence or aren't in a domestic violence situation if you can handle the conversation I think it's important that we kind of understand the different components of this. Yeah. Because we may very well, as we went over the statistics last week, have a good friend or family member that's in a situation like this. Right. And I think 
one of the things I want us to highlight in the show is how do we support people who've been through this type of stuff? It's been through traumatic events, but I don't think we're going to cover that in this series, but I think we definitely will be. But just to be able to listen so that you may notice some of the signs and symptoms as we move forward. Right. I think that's a fair warning, regardless of what type of subject matter we're talking about as it, as it pertains to trauma. Yeah. Because trauma is just that it's something that produces this very big emotional reaction in you. So, Mm -hmm. you know, whether we're talking about domestic violence or child abuse or people having PTSD because of war or whatever, it's going to affect someone. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be very cognizant of that as we're going through this. This, however, because it is so prevalent and because it is such a, a seriously emotional subject matter, that's that's why the warning. I really feel like that's a, a good idea. So Yeah. And I do just want to throw this out even before we jump into the subject matter that if you are struggling with these types of issues, to please feel free to reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Their phone number is 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. That's a 24-7 crisis line. And I think even one of the stats we looked at last week was that you know nationwide, on a typical day, domestic violence hotlines like that one, they're receiving over 19,000 phone calls in the United yeah. States per day on right. domestic, regarding domestic violence. Yeah, which was one of those stats that was truly shocking to me. Yeah, just absolutely shocking. And yeah. I want to just review the definition. Everything that I'm going to be talking about today, um, I actually pulled. So I'm not, I'm not just, since I don't have lived experience around domestic violence, Michelle does, I don't. And so I'm pulling a lot of the information from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, NCADV. And you can check out their, their website. It's ncadv.org, where Everything um, I'm going to bring up today was brought from, and I think it's very, very useful. There's tons of information. And they define domestic violence as a review, um, as the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or abusive behavior as part of a systematic pattern, pattern of power and control perpetuated by one intimate partner against another. It includes physical violence, sexual violence, threats, economic, and emotional psychological abuse. The frequency and severity of domestic violence varies dramatically. Right. I think that's a great, that's a great definition because it covers, as we talked about last week, so many different things that people do not realize are a part of a domestic violence cycle. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, it's important to continue to, remember, to remind that these things all fall within the scope of this discussion. Right. Right. And when we look at the the span or the continuum of, of how many different types of domestic violence and, and how that presents, it is prevalent in every community and it affects all people, regardless of age, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, gender, race, religion, or nationality. Right. This is happening in every sector of human society. And it can happen to you. It can happen to a loved one. It can happen to a friend. Right. Um, your race or economic status does not make a difference. Right. Now, am I being serious and down, downer enough? 
you're, you're being serious. And I think that's important because as we said, this is a serious topic. So there's nothing wrong with being serious about it. To kind of move this forward, I, I've taken information from NCADV and I just kind of want to go over some of the different sections they talk about it and really look at the different types of abuse, uh, what some of the examples of that might look like, and then what the impact is. Okay. And, and the first thing they bring up is economic abuse. Mm-hmm. When you hear economic abuse, what do you think, Michelle? Uh, to me, that says uh, one person holding all the power as it pertains to the family finances the person that's possibly being abused doesn't have an avenue to help themselves get out of that situation. Uh, mm-hmm. All of their finances are monitored or controlled. They do not have money of their own, credit cards of their own, bank account of their own, or access to those, even in a shared venture oftentimes. So that's kind of what it says to me. Are, is Were you thinking of something else or? No. That's, okay. I mean, you pretty much just read the, de- I mean, I'd read the definition. You kind of just, <laughs> just gave it. Oh, yeah, so sorry. that's spot on. <laughs> Abuser taking control or limits access to shared or individual assets or money. Right. When we look at the prevalence of economic abuse, 94 to 99% of domestic violence survivors have also experienced economic abuse. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it almost, it seems as if there's any abuse that's, that's being taken place, uh, economic abuse comes along with it. it well, I mean, like. I hate to constantly refer back to religion on every subject, on every subject matter that we have. But again, this comes up because it's such a patriarchal, you know, idea of the head of the household being a man and the woman is subservient, the children are subservient, and that the man is responsible for providing for the household, even though that is not the reality for most households in our country. That's still the idea that seems to be prevalent within religious thinking. And so it does leave us in a place where there is a big opening for this kind of control of somebody. And again, this also makes it sound as though only men abuse women. And we know that's not true. We know that women can be abusive as well. This is an avenue in which it's sometimes excused or allowed for because, well, that's the natural order. That's the godly order of a household. And so the woman shouldn't have any control of these things, but that's ridiculous. In the, in the times that we live in, that's absolutely ridiculous. And again, it is very patriarchal thinking. So sorry, bringing it back to religion once again, but that, that's my experience. And so I tend to bring it back there. But the other thing I wanted to also mention as it pertains to economic, we're talking about how that looks like within a family unit, but your, your literature also gives voice to the idea of what this this domestic violence scene has a very big economic effect on a macro level as well. Yes, it does. So, and again, what we mean by that is the idea of lost jobs. I'm going to read from the the literature here. Victims of intimate partner violence lose a total of 8 million days of paid work each year or the equivalent of 32,000 full-time jobs. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. And what they mean by that is that they are injured or hurt enough that they are not able or not capable of working or that they're trying to hide those injuries and not capable of working. So it and it uh, it's estimated that it costs the U.S. economy between five point eight billion and twelve point six billion annually. Wow. That's a huge economic effect on our on our infrastructure. Yeah. 
So we're not even talking about the economic effect within the family. That's a separate issue. We're talking now about how that's affecting our country's economic situation mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, it's a it big subject. It affects all of us. Absolutely. I mean, one thing that's happened, this is happening behind closed doors right. with individual families that we don't think about. But when you look at the national budget and the different things like that, it definitely is impacting all of us. Right. Well, and they go even further because this is another shocking thing. It says between 2003 and 2008, 142 women were murdered in their workplace by former or current intimate partners. And it amounts so to 22% of, of workplace homicides among women. That that's a big that's a big issue. Again, yeah. you're talking about women not feeling safe in the home, but now they're not even safe when they go to work because it follows them. Mm-hmm. So that may be the one place that they get a little break from they can't even be the safe experience, there. and they still may not be safe. Mm-hmm. So again, a very big impact on our on our country's economic platform as well, so to speak. Mm-hmm. When I also want to speak, why this really matters because in situations where there is economic abuse, in which case there's strategic limiting of funds, limiting to essentially resources in essence. Why does that matter? It it makes it so that victims are actually unable to take those steps to actually leave. Right. It's a manipulative tactic to keep them stuck right where they are. Right. And they may be forced to, even if they try to escape due to the over over the extended period of time of limiting of resources and money and economic uh, economic resources, they often end up going back right because they can't they were never able to build a savings account and those different types of things in order to even be able to survive, not just to get out of the situation but to remain out of the situation and i think it could be a large factor into why people often end up returning well and and the other thing that we have to account for there in that situation is because the the greater preponderance of domestic violence occurrences are men being violent against women again i'm not disallowing that the opposite happens as well but i'm saying the greater preponderance of these instances are men being violent towards women when the woman has makes the decision that she's going to leave. Let's let's say that she's even formed a plan. The majority of the time, she's still giving up her her job basically because you're not going to stay where the person that is abusing you knows where you're going to be. As we've said, there's there's a problem with that. So she, not only is she in an economic, you know, financially bad position, now more than likely she's giving up a job mm-hmm. to escape. Not only that, she's more than likely taking children with her. Yep. So she's really at a disadvantage as it pertains to being okay and able to do this. So again, another reason that a lot of times people won't leave or they end up coming back, as you said, because they're not capable of handling the financial side of everything Mm -hmm. because that's a reality. If you find yourself in a situation where you are being abused financially – in which case your funds are limited. Uh, this website does provide some suggestions and helpful tips to help you Good. maybe begin to move forward in developing a plan. And I want to—I'm not going to read all of this verbatim. You can go to their website; it's ncadv.org. But I'm just going to read a couple of these. First of all, reach out for help. And I—and what I mean that you can call that national hotline, as I mentioned earlier. 
uh, 1-800-799-7233. But, but reach out. And then also avoid using credit and debit cards. Right. That your abuser could essentially use to track you. Keep your personal and financial records in a safe location. Or what I would even suggest, leave copies with a trusted friend, relative, or in a bank safety deposit box in which your abuser doesn't have access. Right? Right. Like, take these steps forward. Compile an emergency evacuation box with copies of your family's important records and documents. The things you might need if you need to escape quickly. And then reach out for resources. There really are so many different ways and avenues for people to get you help. I even know that 211, which again, is just a resource directory now, but they're even like scheduling for domestic violence shelters and homeless shelters Mm -hmm. and can, can literally take steps at getting you that support. So can Suicide Lifeline. There's just a lot of resources out there to be of support. But if you are considering that you're going to leave, calculate what it would cost you to live on your own and consider start set to setting aside your own money in a safe place, even if it is just a few dollars. Right. Develop that kind of plan. These are just a few ideas. Anything you'd add to that, Michelle? Um, I'm probably what I'm going to add is not going to be popular um, because I mentioned it last week and and I know the counselor in you had a response to that. If your situation is so dire that your life is in danger, leave. I don't care if you have a plan in place or not. That was that was the experience in my childhood. It was time to leave. It didn't matter that there was an avenue. It, it, it was that serious. And for a lot of people, that's true. So if you have the ability to make a plan, if you can keep yourself safe long enough to make a plan and make preparations, absolutely do that. But if your life is in danger, you need to leave. And well, there are places if you can go. Life, yeah. Well, see, and that's there's a big. We've got to make two major clarifications here, because there's domestic violence that continues, and is dangerous, mm-hmm. and then there's imminent life threatening. Well, it escalates. And, and I would, if it's get, well, you're right, and it always builds. That's right. But if it's if if it's reached a place to where it has been. And that your life may be at risk. I, yes, I would absolutely. absolutely encourage you to leave. But please understand that if you do leave abruptly like that, there could be serious consequences. And so Nothing you need more to serious plan than your a little death. bit for it. <laughs> well, right. So this is where we kind of disagree I'm because is, I'm coming from that lived experience and I'm like, that shit doesn't fly. If, it, if it's time to go, it's time to go. Well, and I and I don't disagree with that, but I also don't want you to leave and get shot in the back on the way out of the door. If you're getting shot in the back on the way out the door, you are about to get shot in the front standing in front of them. I can't say that any more strongly. No, I, look, I'm all for making the plans if you're capable of doing that. My codicil to that was if you're not and if your life is in danger... Then you well, need to I mean, leave. If your life is in danger, I'm always going to encourage you to right. leave. That's without question. The, I, the the whole thing is imminency. But I, I hear But how you. does one judge that? Again, that's very individual. That it person is. is the only one that can make that call as to right. how imminent and how much this exactly. has escalated. And that's and I and I'm not placing a value right. on what imminent means. Right. I, I'm placing imminent based upon what the person thinks, right. what they deem as imminent. I know that in my family, and I I hesitate because I don't like to out circumstances or people, 
when when I experienced this when I was a kid, it was imminent. It was time to leave. And it was in the middle of the day while the person was at work. Just right. get the hell out. That's all you can do. We'll settle out the details later. Get out. And that's mm-hmm. what that was what the experience was. So and it was the right call. So, again, it's very personal. It's very individual. But you asked if I had anything to add. That's my ad. <laughs> well, and I, but I, that, and, and you have a lived experience around this, whereas, whereas I don't. So I'm always trying to think well, about and I safety. Know, and, you, and, and you're coming from the counselor or the therapist point of view as well. well and, and the thing about it is, is I very well, as a therapist, could come to that same decision. But I would need to hear the whole story. Right. And I don't like to just randomly encourage that. Yeah. I, well, you know. I will say this, that if if it's gotten that serious, there's no time to sit around and give somebody the full story. So no. you may never get the full story till after the fact. There's a good point there. We've got to move on. We do. I, I have, I've got so much. <laughs> okay. Now we're moving on. Move on. Okay, everyone, it, it just gets more serious from here. <laughs> Economic abuse was the lightest we're probably going to Oh my cover. gosh. <laughs> okay, next is sexual uh, assault. Right. I, I think sexual assault is is pretty self explanatory. Yes. Um, I don't know. I think most people tend to think that that's uh, again. This comes back, and I saw something on Facebook today on this subject matter, and it shocked the hell out of me. Um, a lot of times, people do not feel that sexual assault is something that is relevant inside of a marriage. What? Yeah, that's it's a very most real mindset. Certainly. Yeah, it, it is. is most but that's certainly, a, that's a very real mindset where people will say, "Well, we were married, so it's not sexual assault," which is bullshit. Consent still matters even when you're married. Yes. Um, but again, and going back to patriarchal values, oftentimes it's not considered that way. So let me read this definition: mm-hmm. Perpetrators who are physically violent toward their intimate partners are often sexually abusive as well. Yes. Victims who are both physically and sexually abused are more likely to be injured or killed than victims who experience one form of abuse. Absolutely. Abusers assault people of all genders, races, ages, social class, and ethnicities. Women who are disabled, pregnant, Mm -hmm. or attempting to leave their abusers are at greatest risk for intimate partner violence or partner rape. Sorry. So again, this is a subject matter where, again, a lot of women would think, oh, I'm not a victim of of sexual assault i'm married and literally the definition here it starts with did you know and it has stats and then the next thing underneath it is marital rape right well because pretty much in the intellectual realm we know that that's a possibility i'm talking about in the lived experience realm or even from the religious side of things once again that's not considered a thing Right. It's and now it's becoming more well known, but oftentimes it, it's considered oh that's just a part of relationship. It's my duty or it's my obligation. So here I want to read this. It has a little history on this. So until 1976, state laws specifically exempted yep. spousal rape from general rape laws. Mm-hmm. In 1976, Nebraska was the first state to legally recognize non-consensual intercourse with a spouse as rape. By 1993, all 50 states had either completely or partially repealed their spousal rape exemptions. However, even now, some states still have some form of spousal rape exemptions. Right. And it is often legally considered a different, lesser crime than non-spousal rape. Right. Which is infuriating. And many Americans do not believe marital rape is actually rape. 
Exactly. That's a problem. Yeah. Because often, and I will tell you this, if, if you are in a situation, in a domestic violence situation, in which you are having to use sex to de-escalate somebody, we are talking about a sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Because you are literally under duress performing sexual whatever to de-escalate somebody so that you're not hurt. I know of where I speak. I lived this as a kid as well. So mm-hmm. this is it is definitely a problem. And unfortunately, again, the idea among among men is it's my wife. I can do what I want. And among women, I'm his wife. I have to let him do what he wants. So I'm gonna can I spit can I spit some more stats? Sure. I almost want to read three of these, but I'll read two. Go right ahead. Uh, well, I'm going to read all three. So 18% of female victims of spousal rape say their children witnessed the crime. Yep. So I think that's very notable. We're bringing up child trauma here. Been there, uh, done that. We got that. Children, children witnessing it. Yep. Uh, that was true in the last, uh, yes. what, the interview we did that's last right. week. Which, again, was um, one of the things that caused my anxiety levels to go through the roof. Mm-hmm. And, again, I was completely, like, shut down. <laughs> I, I was just like... We already okay. said that's okay. Um, between ten and fourteen percent of married women will be raped at some point during during their marriage, and only thirty six percent of all rape victims ever report the crime to the police. Right. The percentage of married women who report a spousal rape to the police is even lower. Marital rape is the most underreported form of sexual assault. Absolutely. So again, because of these stereotypical ideas that we have from a male and female perspective that are rooted in very religious or patriarchal ideas. Mm -hmm. And, and again, when we're talking about a great amount of rights that are afforded to women now only being afforded to women within the last 30 years, 40 years, you're talking about a large population of women now that don't know it's okay for them to say things about this. If you are a woman and you are experiencing this, and this is coming from a gay man, but okay, just hear me out here. <laughs> Talk if you don't feel comfortable reaching out to a hotline or you don't feel comfortable, you know, reporting this to police or something like that. Is talk to your primary care doctor or your OBGYN. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's still not received really? well. It's like being married and being sexually abused by your husband and calling the police. More often than not, you're going to be told, well, there's not really much we can do. You should just leave. When instead, there should be a response. The next one, Michelle, you are going to have all kinds of things to talk about. When haven't I? (laughs) How about stalking? (laughs) You're smart ass. (laughs) I don't know that Facebook stalking is the same thing. (laughs) Stalking. Yeah. Stalking. Yeah. So stalking is a course of conduct, including intimidation, surveillance, or harassment that places a person in reasonable fear of marital harm to their health or that's say I said marital. Clearly, we just got done talking about marital rape. Okay. (laughs) Reasonable fear of material harm to their health or safety or the health or safety of an intimate family member, household member, spouse, or intimate partner or pet. Stalking is a serious crime. Former and current intimate partners often use stalking to terrorize their victims. It's interesting. There's some other stats. 19.1 million women and 6.4 million men in the United States have been stalked. 
Mm-hmm. Um, 66.2% of female stalking victims reported the stalking was by a former or current intimate partner. That's a heavy preponderance there. Yeah. So it's, you know, they've made movies about this. Again, it's very easy to kind of just dismiss it as dramatic because they've made movies about it. I mean, we all know about bo- boiling bunnies and, and whatnot, you know, that came like out of fatal attraction and whatnot. But the reality of this is as, as women or, or men that have been able to extricate themselves from a, a, you know, a violent home life, a lot of times they are then followed or harassed ongoing and after the fact. And because mm-hmm. they know where they came from, there's such a detrimental effect mentally that goes above, you know, like some stranger following you. That's bad enough. But I know this person. I know what they're capable of. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's dangerous. So I want to speak a little bit more to the impact. Okay. One in seven stalking victims has been forced to move as a result of their victimization. Mm-hmm. One in eight has reported losing work because of the stalking. Of course, I think it's pretty clear stalking victims suffer much higher rates of depression, anxiety, insomnia, and social dysfunction than people in the general population. Yeah. And let's see here. 37%, which this is interesting, 37% of victims of stalking fulfill the diagnostic criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) And an additional 18% fulfilled all but one diagnostic category. And uh, one in four stalking victims contemplate suicide. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a big problem. When I was 17 years old, as a result of my mother leaving a situation, I, I had moved out, was on my own. I worked in a job. The person that was violently abusive to my mother stalked me trying to find her. And my employer at that time was very good to me, and they actually moved me somewhere where I couldn't be seen in the public eye mm-hmm. and they wouldn't give anybody information about me because, and I was terrified to go to work because the person knew where I worked. So I was constantly felt like I was under surveillance and had to be very careful. They would help me go to my car at night so that I wasn't by myself. And so it's, it is very, very anxiety producing. And so PTSD makes sense. Yeah. No, I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. Okay. I made an executive decision on what we're going to do. Okay. <laughs> What's your executive oh, decision? Okay. Sorry, you don't have a say in this. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and do you see how he bosses me around making executive decisions? Oh, shut My God. Up. <laughs> kidding. I don't even want to so hear kidding. that. <laughs> now we're going to talk about. This. Well, wait. I do want to just mention, I mean, do you have anything more to talk about on stalking? No, it's fine. Are you sure? I'm positive. I'm just saying. Because, I mean, like, I, you know, I mean, you are, like, a little bit of a famous bodybuilder. Famous. That, <laughs> that you know, people kind of, like, you know, hunt you down and look for it, you. It's absolutely true. It is absolutely true. It, it That has happened quite a lot on social media. I will say... Recently, it's happened several times in person, which is somewhat disconcerting, but I'm dealing with it, so. Okay. so I, I don't have to talk okay. anymore about well, it. I'm, I'm fine. Well, did I just, I just need to clear up and I can take this out of the episode. Okay. Was I too patriarchal? <laughs> that I, that kind I. Kind of a smart ass, but other than that. <laughs> that you had no say in my executive decision making. <laughs> oh, I don't care. If I wanted to say, I'd just log off. 
Yeah. I'm sure you would. See, I would. That I do Don't not piss tell. me off. All right. Whatever. I, I'm look, teasing and you know it. I started it. this show. I feel like I have that set. Okay. okay. Well, well, damn. Okay. Well, in the middle of an episode when I've got all the material. Okay, you're right. You're right. Go ahead. Uh, in the middle of an episode with the material. Okay. Let's let's Go ahead. talk about uh, let's let's talk about physical abuse. Okay. What do you want to talk about it about? I mean, I, well, I aren't you the you one had... making the decisions? Go right ahead. Oh, don't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm there just it is. Going with the flow. There it is. Are you really that mad? What I'm am I gonna mad. have to do after this? I'm that episode? petty. <laughs> I'm gonna have to like. I think you leave every freaking bit of this in it. I can't send you chocolate. I can't. I don't know. I don't know what I can do to make things better. I'm teasing you, you. Knock it off. <laughs> I'll send you some gluten-free, oh, like sugary they treats. They have gluten-free Oreos. Just an oh, FYI. All right. <laughs> It's coming your and way. And they're pretty freaking good. So. so let's talk about physical abuse. Okay. So physical abuse includes the physical assault, battery, and sexual assault used as a part of a systematic pattern of power and control perpetuated by one intimate partner against another. Physical violence can cause severe injury and even death. It often co-occurs with other forms of trauma, including psychological abuse, economic abuse, and stalking. I feel like it's kind of the, again, we, we mentioned earlier that the psychological could even be worse than the physical in regards to the long-term effects. Right. The physical is pretty I think, bad. I think when you think of, when people think of domestic violence, this is what they think of. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I think, as I said, I think that's the majority of what people think is the physical side of it, that the, that somebody is being hurt in some physical fashion. Right. Yeah. So, yep. Lived that, too. I feel like I've lived all of this. <laughs> I feel like a broken record. You're the, you're the, you're the lived experience professional okay. here. Okay. So, what like we know. I feel like that's very passive aggressive. Oh, was it? I don't want to be <laughs> passive aggressive. I don't want to do that. I've been oh, accused stop. Of Just go. Oh, my goodness. I'm teasing I you. I don't like. Don't well, overthink that, this now that's stuff. passive aggressive. You're right. Don't overthink this. <laughs> I'll passive aggressive. You're passive aggressive. Exactly. I'm competitive. So what you know. we know, what we know about intimate physical violence. Right. Intimate partner physical violence. Mm -hmm. right? Uh, more than 10 million Americans um, experience this annually. 20 people are victims of physical violence every minute in the United States. Here are some astounding facts. In 2007, 1,640 women were murdered by intimate partners. In 2012, 924 were killed by intimate partners. Yeah. And 40% of female murder victims are killed by intimate partners. Yeah. So, again, we're talking about something that escalates. This is not some out of the blue one day somebody kills another person in the household. This is an escalating experience. Right. In fact, 76% of women who are killed by intimate partners and 85% of women who survive homicide attempts are stalked right. prior to the murder or attempted murder. Right. There's always a buildup. Yeah. And that, and that typically is across the board. 
Mm-hmm. Men and women. So we're not talking about just one perpetrating against the other. And we're talking about across the board. Typically, somebody doesn't just to decide become to become violent. It, it's it's generally a process. So yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that when we look at physical abuse, it it really is a tool of control. Right. It's power and control. Right. And I know we talked about that. I think in the first episode, but control and oppression. And it's a choice made by one person in a relationship to control another. Right. Well, and I think it's important to remember also that a lot of times, because it's happening slowly, there's almost a, a, a process of being anesthetized to the process. And, and you may not even mm-hmm. recognize it. Um, Cassandra on our page actually made a very good point here. She said, abuse doesn't start as abuse. It's a slow process that grows into a larger capacity of control. I don't think it's always recognized as a slow leading process into abuse until it's too late and becomes more serious. I think it often starts small and neither partner recognizes it and things become comfortable and then slowly get worse and more controlling and more submissive. And I think that's actually a very good point. Mm-hmm. It's like sitting in a pot of boil, you know, you don't get into a pot of boiling water, but if you're in water and it's slowly heating up, you may not even realize and suddenly you're in this situation that's very dire and you kind of look around almost like, what happened? I don't know how I got here. Well, because there was this slow buildup and you became anesthetized to the process. Mm-hmm. So, which makes it dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it also is something that tends to produce in people a guilt complex, almost like I should have known, I should have known, I can't really say anything now. I've allowed these other things to happen. I, and there's almost a helplessness to it. That goes above and beyond the helplessness of realizing you're being abused. Kind of rolling off of that um, into psychological abuse. Um, Psychological abuse involves trauma to the victim caused by verbal abuse, acts, threats of violence, or coercive tactics. Perpetrators use psychological abuse to control, terrorize, and denigrate their victims. It frequently occurs prior to uh, or concurrently with physical or sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and it so it's that precursor right right well again that's that escalating tendency yeah you don't generally jump right to those things you tend to build up to that Mm -hmm. so let's let's talk about what that build up of psychological abuse leading to potential physical abuse looks like Mm -hmm. think and again i'm pulling this from the materials Mm -hmm. but humiliation yes Controlling where a person can and cannot go. It's limiting your access to move around. Right. Withholding information intentionally. Uh, deliberately doing something to make uh, the person feel diminished or embarrassed. Isolating the person from friends or family. That's a big one. Is it? I think that one's stereotypically the one that most people are aware of. Mm-hmm. And that you will recognize in one of your friends if it's happening. If they've suddenly disappeared and you're not able to get contact with them, it's something that kind of clicks in people's minds like, wait a minute, this is not good. So I think that's one right. that's kind of known. Yeah. Denying access to money or other basic resources. Mm-hmm. Within this also comes stalking. Right. I feel like that's pretty yeah. standard. Demeaning the person in public or in private. Undermining the person's confidence or sense of well self-worth. And I think one of the most common mentioned here is convincing the person that he or she is crazy. 
gaslighting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate the word crazy, but I mean, that's what's yeah. used here in the, in the actual right. documents. But yeah, I mean, I think that's used. It's manipulation sure. and it's gaslighting. Sure. I think there's also a, a repetitiveness of, of abuse and then apology in the beginning. It, I'm sorry, I had a bad day. I didn't mean to do that. Please forgive me. Then it happens again. Well, I had a bad, you know, this day was even worse and you just made it worse by this. And there's this subtle ex- escalation of it slowly not being that person just having a bad day, but somehow you've become at fault and you're responsible for your own abuse. Mm-hmm. And again, that's where I think the psycho- the psychology of that is you're slowly being broken down and conditioned to believe that you are at fault. Right. To the and point where big- you get to that that last level where you're saying where they're like that's not true. You you're just crazy or you're not you're not experiencing this right and suddenly you question yourself like wait a minute, maybe I am wrong. Mhm. And it leads you to question yourself. Right. right. So it's yeah, it's psychologically damaging. Before it's physically damaging or in conjunction with being physically damaging. Mhm. So so following along here on the effects, and mm-hmm. I'm actually then going to ask quite some questions again. I, I just I think this is all good. I really do, guys. Encourage you guys to check out this website. Seven out of ten psychologically abused women display symptoms of PTSD and/or depression. That's clearly not surprising. Mm-hmm. Significantly more likely to report poor physical and mental health, and have more than five physician visits in the last year. Mm. It's a strong predictor of PTSD. And so how do you know if you're being psychologically abused? Again, I'm pulling this from the materials, but I think this is beneficial for us to go over. Mm -hmm. So here's a question. Am I being physically abused? This is specifically in relationship to intimate partners. So this is about if you're in a relationship. Does your partner threaten to harm you, your children, your family, and or your pets? Do they tell you that you are worthless and that no one else will ever love you? Do they isolate you from your friends or your family? Do they control your behavior and monitor your movements and whereabouts? Do they tell you that you're crazy? Do they demean you in public or in private? Do they constantly criticize you? Do they blame you for everything that goes wrong? Do they stalk you? Do they cause you to feel guilt over things that are not your fault? And do they threaten to take away your children? Hmm. If you answer yes to any of those, right. I very much want to encourage you to reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which is 1-800-799-7233. Sorry, I've mentioned that so many times. No, I think it's important. We have to. I think we've covered this. How do you feel? Uh, yeah, it's a tough subject. So, I mean, it's it's a lot to handle. Just from yeah. an intellectual perspective, it's a lot to handle, but it's certainly it's it's harder when it's something that maybe you're experiencing or have experienced there's the emotional aspect that goes along with it that makes it much more difficult yeah you know to have a long-term conversation about it so Mm -hmm. i mean i think i could talk about these for five hours easy but we're trying to put this into a podcast (laughs) that's helpful no you probably would need breaks yeah (laughs) but i think I, i know this conversation was heavy and i get that but we did warn you Mm we did And the whole point behind all of this is to provide an understanding of what's really involved and what is that impact per the type. 
and specifically maybe some helpful tools and resources. And so next week, because we didn't get to it, um, we're going to look at specific populations within our society and some of the rates and issues around domestic violence that are happening within those communities. Um, Again, no judgment. That's not what this show is about. Um, It's about understanding culture and how some of these things play in. And then we will wrap out our series with actual lived experience stories, which is something is the first time Michelle and I have ever done. Right. (laughs) So I think there's going to be probably three or four um, Mm -hmm. interviews in there that are going to be kind of spliced together um, to provide an understanding of of all that goes on here. And so we appreciate you listening. You know, we have a hotline. That phone number is 1-800-690-5005. You can reach out to that if you have questions about the show. If you have suggestions about the show, we're more than happy to reach out to that number. Um, You can call it or text it. We're there to take any feedback or suggestions that you may have. And then if you're also looking for community, we do have, (laughs) trying, we do have an active (laughs) Facebook group. It's doing well. No, it's mainly posts from me trying to get people to comment. And sometimes they do, a lot of people but no one commenting. like ever comes in there and does a, their own original comments. It's it's all Maybe mine. they feel like they're not allowed to. I think we should say you should do that if you're a part I of that I feel group. like I have. Michelle, step, jump in on our Marco Polo community. Jump in on our Facebook group. Um, we are there. We're trying to build something and we want people to feel safe and comfortable. Um, I do want to say something though. Those groups are meant for general conversation. Those groups are meant for yes. you to know that you're not alone and that other people may or may, you know, may be experiencing some of the same things that you have. People can offer advice in there. People can share their hearts. They can share their concerns. They can share their problems. What we want to make clear, however, is that is not a group where we are your therapist. And I don't mean to sound cold when I say that, but when you come to us with specific problems and want our input on them, it puts us in a very difficult position. And here's why. We're not licensed to do that. I'm not. Seth has licenses. I do not have licenses. I'm a student. I am am licensed to provide therapeutic support in the state of Missouri and the state of Missouri only. So... We're happy to chime in with our our opinions, maybe, or our thoughts or our personal experiences that may mirror yours. However, if you are looking for specific advice for your specific circumstance, then you probably should seek out a therapist in your area. Or community support, you know, where you ask everybody and and people get to contribute and and provide their feedback. Right. And we just want to be very clear on that because I certainly don't want to speak into somebody's life and they think it comes from a professional aspect and it does not. mm -hmm. It just comes from my personal opinion. Right. So we want to be very cautious with that. So I just wanted to clear that up, make sure that that's a well-known fact. Um, But we definitely want you to be involved in those groups. I think that is beneficial. I think it is helpful to know that you have a community around you and that you have people that care and that have possibly experienced the same things that you are experiencing. You bet. So with that. We appreciate you listening. We hope that this was helpful. And uh, see you next week. See you later. Hi. 
Welcome to your neighborhood pharmacy. Hi, I've got a prescription for diabetes test strips. How much is the copay? Well, it depends on your type of commercial insurance and factoring in your yearly spend, subtracting the deductibles, also depending on your monthly Ugh, allowance. Why can't there be a better option? Or you could try Contour Next test strips. A 35 counts only $19.99 over the counter and proven to be highly accurate. Go to contournext.com slash radio to see if over-the-counter strips are a more affordable option for you. Hmm, I think I'll try Contour Next. Moms are amazing at tracking down hard-to-find items. Library books, socks, you name it. But sometimes help is welcomed. Care.com makes it easy to find babysitters near you. Sitters with the experience and skills your family needs, like after-school pickup and homework help. You just post a job for qualified sitters to apply. And since all Care.com caregivers are background checked, you can feel confident about interviewing and hiring. To get the child care help you need, sign up now at Care.com.